He thought he was in control. How wrong he was. Shane with Dynamis Media, and I'm joined here with Stefan. Hello. And man, <laughs> this is rough. This, uh, this might do it for us. Yeah, this could be the end of all things. <laughs> this could be the end. Yeah. So uh, you're tuning into the Dark Side Drive-In, which is our uh, horror movie theme podcast where we try to go through, well, we were trying to go through the best movies from the 80s, um, maybe sometimes 90s, maybe sometimes 70s, but this one definitely uh, did not hit any of those categories but I chose it nonetheless so um, I'm just going to start off with a slight apology for anyone that tried to watch this it is almost unwatchable because they don't have a high def format and it looks like the person that recorded this bootlegged it and kept hitting the tracking button so the entire time you see like the tracking the tracking lines all over the screen hey kids for uh, for those who don't know tracking was when <laughs> uh, you had VHS tapes and you had to press a button called tracking to help it kind of focus um, and not distort the film. So yeah, I'll get that apology out of the way. So, <laughs> you know, this oh. is kind of, honestly, this is kind of what we were going for with this podcast is like going back to, you know, movies that we might've encountered when we were younger. Um, and it just goes to show maybe we need to do a little more quality control because our memories of things are not always as good as the things, you know, were, um, so you, you like it with rose colored glasses, probably looked back on this movie as a classic from your youth, uh, when it turns out that it's actually terrible. Yeah, I, I definitely was thinking about this while watching it the first time. And about halfway through, I'm like, my God, like, why did I even like this? I mean, there's a couple cool scenes, but it's lost in translation because you can't really make out what's actually happening. So I was, uh, I was, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say pleasantly surprised because I don't, that's not it. I don't know if there's a term for the opposite of that. So unpleasantly surprised. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah. I was, I don't uh, know. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's terrible. It's really bad. And like, I honestly think, cause I, there's some images that I saw, uh, like on IMDB and stuff like that, that actually were well-defined images and they looked like screenshots. And I'm like, is there somehow somewhere a version of this that isn't in standard definition format that could have been watched instead, instead of this grainy mess that we had to see on every streaming service that it was available on. There isn't. I I mean, I'm assuming that if there is, it's not the one that anyone had the rights to <laughs> because I, I literally, yeah, literally everywhere. Amazon, like version you could rent on Amazon. Like, can you imagine paying money to watch this? Like it's so bad. Like like the just the quality of the transfer is terrible. And I saw that like the version that was on Tubi and the version that was on uh, I think Plex is another like free app that it was on. And then the version that you could pay to rent on Amazon, all were the same grainy version of it. And I was like, I can't imagine paying to rent that. Like in like especially since it seems like every other like older movie from this era has a clean like high definition version. I can't. I just can't believe that they. There isn't one for this one. Yeah, I think that this probably is a could be a deeper conversation on why the preservation of VHS is so important. Um, because, you know, in 20 years, we're probably going to lose most of these. So 
not having a sta- even standard, I mean, even definition. I don't even want to say standard definition because that, that would even be going lengths for, for what happened to this movie. You know, the, the analogy I could, I could provide is, you know, um, if you haven't seen this uh, and you don't wear glasses or do wear glasses, um, this is what it's like when you don't have your glasses on and you're trying to look at stuff. That is the entire movie. So it's so blurry. Yeah, I think so calling any anything related to definition is kind of a misnomer because there you can't tell what's going on. Like I in my notes, I think that I use like generic terms for the characters because it took me at least like 20 minutes of movie before I could figure out who is who. Well, two of them look almost identical with the blur. Yeah. So it was yeah, a little, yeah. yeah, you kind of have, we'll get to it. But yeah, I think, you know, I'll try to do my best at, to rate it without the presentation of it because I think it's a little unfair because it was made in the eighties, but still, uh, that's, <laughs> that is an excuse that only gets you so far. Yeah, like the other right. movies managed to be, it's like, I, I can't believe that like the howling two isn't our worst movie that we'll have done on this podcast. I thought for sure I wrecked it with that. But you came over here and you won up to me. So yeah, kudos swoop, to you, sir. Swoop, swooped in, saved the day. <laughs> uh, before we dive into any of this, yeah. did you want to do any, is there any other housekeeping for like the uh, network or anything that you wanted to get into? Yeah, I think uh, the only thing I know, the other shows, they took a little bit of a break. A couple of them were on vacation. I think they said they have a couple episodes recorded. They're at just in the process of editing. So if you listen to any of our other shows, uh, I would expect to see an episode in maybe like a week or two. I, I don't really know. We, um, I guess, I don't know if I've ever actually like kind of explained in detail what we're doing. So basically we're a bunch of friends that we're all doing separate things and we decided, hey, why don't we just try to work together and maybe um, come up with different show ideas or different um, events or something. So um, we don't really like control each other's stuff. We're just kind of having fun and um, so they're on their own timetable. We're on our timetable and kind of just leave it go. And that seems to work best because, um, you know, it helps put out a product that you actually want to listen to instead of us just trying to like square peg round hole out content, which is, I think a problem with, with, you know, content creation in general. But yeah, I think that's the only update I have. Um, just stay tuned. Uh, keep, you know, keep checking out our website. Um, we slow down on some of the stuff, but I, I think, um, I think in terms for us, we're just going to keep doing this because we're having a blast. So, yeah, most yeah. of the time, yeah, most, most of the time we're having a blast. Not this time, this, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but yeah, yeah no, that's uh, one of the things too. Is I think that um, I know that since it's the summer, um, you know, instead of having us fall off our schedule, um, we're just going to record a couple in advance. So we'll sk- still keep re- uh, releasing episodes every other week. Um, it just might be something that's recorded a little earlier. Not that anyone really notices. <laughs> it's like I'm, we don't really talk about current events on this. <laughs> so there's no real marker for when this is happening. Um, but, yeah, we will try to make sure that we stay on track despite having, you know, summer plans all around. Yeah. So Reagan just got elected. And I think that. Um, what the. Bad, that was a bad joke. What the girl from The Exorcist? No, like Ronald. Oh, never heard. Time, never heard of him. It's a time joke. <laughs> well that well that it was never, the 80s that will never hear the light of day you're gonna edit that out <laughs> i don't know we'll see uh, oh but, no uh, you can't just go around just because you make a bad joke doesn't mean you just delete it you have to <laughs> you have to like live by your choices sir i have to let the shame consume me <laughs> yep <laughs> all right what, what do you want me to do when we start talking about some of the credits for some of the people in here um, yeah i think what was so shocking to me was how 
bad this movie was, but how many famous people were in it. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of surprised. Like some of the bona fides, even on the the uh, the directing and the and the uh, writing team too. It's like almost like there's this confluence of perfect terribleness that made this movie happen. But everyone in it is actually quite competent at what they're doing. So it's kind of interesting that it happened. Um, I guess I'll talk about the director, uh, Armand Mastroianni. Mastroianni. Um, don't know how to say that, but. Uh, I was uh, looking into his credits and I tried to like see a really cool through line for like, you know, actors and, and crew members and stuff that we discuss. And I noticed that he actually directed uh, like four episodes of uh, Tales from the Dark Side, which anyone who knows me knows that I just weirdly got obsessed with like rediscovering Tales from the Dark Side. I ordered the DVDs on Amazon <laughs> and I have them now. So I've been watching them on DV- uh, on DVD because uh, Tales from the Dark Side, despite being owned by Paramount, is not streaming anywhere, including on Paramount Plus, which is weird. It's the exact same thing that whenever I want to watch uh, Tales from the Crypt, and even though it's an HBO produced and owned, uh, you know, television program, it's not on HBO Max. Well, I guess it's just Max now, but it's not there. It's like crazy. They're just leaving money, you know, on the floor. They could be like having Tales from the Crypt out there. Well, same thing for Tales from the Dark Side. But he he had actually directed four episodes of of that, uh, a few episodes of like the War of the Worlds TV program, uh, I think like eight episodes of Friday the Thirteenth the series, which is you know kind of an underrated show. I actually enjoyed that quite a bit. I, I saw that he had the Ring. I was like, no way, is this the Ring with like the you know spooky video monster lady? No, <laughs> this is a Danielle Steele novel. <laughs> So it's a romance ring, not a spooky ring. ring. <laughs> yeah. So it was not the good ring. Um, I was really excited for a second when I saw that. Um, but he has a number of other credits. I think uh, the clairvoyant fatal error, nothing that I've really seen, but I mean, he's got a lot of credits under his belt. More interesting to me actually was one of the writers, uh, uh, Joel uh, Soison or Soison seems to be one of those like masters of, writing like second or further down entries of different movies he did like the prophecy three the ascent uh highlander endgame which is as anyone who knows the highlander franchise knows that's the one that combined you know the tv show and then the movie versions of the highlanders together he did uh dracula 2000 the kind of forgettable dracula movie that uh, i think gerard butler was dracula in that uh mimic 2 which out of the mimic films is probably the better mimic Dracula 2 Ascension, which I thought was cool because Prophecy 3 was the ascent. So this guy really likes ascending. Uh, <laughs> a later prophecy, the Prophecy Uprising. Uh, Hellraiser Hellworld, which was one of the latter entries in the Hellraiser franchise before they had the reboot. Was it Hollow Man 2, Pulse 2 Afterlife, uh, two Children of the Corns, Children of the Corn Genesis, and Children of the Corn Runaway. Uh, so not the good Children of the Corn, which. I would say the first two are probably the only ones that are pretty good. Uh, Piranha 3 Double D, which is there was Piranha 3D, which was actually good. And then there was 3 Double D, which was not good. Hey, why uh, is it 3 Double D? Uh, I assume that they're going for some kind of like reference to breasts, I would assume, because there's a lot of nudity in that movie. And it seems to be what it's best known for. But it's also the sequel. So it's the second one of the two. The first one was just Piranha 3D. Um, I think they thought they were being clever. But uh, I think in that one, doesn't uh, Ving Rhames have like a shotgun foot because he got his foot eaten in the first one. And then in this one, he has like a shotgun foot. 
I'm pretty uh, sure that's the best thing yeah, about that movie. I'm pretty sure that's yeah. I'm pretty sure it's like a shotgun leg or something. Yeah, it's like yeah. tied to crutches or something. That uh, yeah, I think so because he's like still working, and then he like at one point because that one I think the piranhas attack a what a, like a water park, right? Yes. Yeah, so they attack the water park, and at some point Ving Rhames rolls in and then has like you know shotgun foot and shoots them. Which is crazy because I Paul don't think Shears it, in it. So like that's Paul, Sh- a, Paul Shears in it. Yeah, it's always a plus. Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah. I mean, that's not. A, I mean, would, would you rather just talk about Piranha 3D and 3 D? Like, I'd be fine with that. And we could just talk about this Piranha remake franchise. Probably just about anything at this point. <laughs> yeah. Uh. The, the the other writer on this was uh Michael S Murphy. A lot of production credits, not so many uh writing credits. I think he was a writer on uh Trick or Treat which is one that kind of comes up for different members of this cast. But he was like a producer on District 9, Dread, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. What is it? Uh, Freddy's Revenge, the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, I believe. So he has a lot of production credits, not so much uh, not so much writing credits. But, you know, when you write something as good as this, you know, how many more do you need to write, you know? Oh, for sure. <laughs> so... But yeah, here we can start jumping into the cast. Uh, the main character, uh, it took a little while to figure out who the main character was because I can't really tell who anyone is, uh, but is Ellis, played by Max Caulfield. His interesting because this, like, as we'll get into when we talk about the plot, is about, like, what, Confederate zombies? <laughs> From, like, the old Civil War era, like, undead Confederate zombies coming back for you. But Max Caulfield was actually in Gettysburg, which is a real... And an actually good movie about the Civil War, which is really funny. Uh, he was on some episodes of Monsters, which is a spinoff of Tales from the Dark Side. Basically, not to get too into the weeds on that, but like Tales from the Dark Side was really well received. But most people only talked about um, the acting and the stories and didn't talk so much about the special effects. So I believe that the special effects artist on that ended up uh, spinning off and doing this Monsters themed uh, show. So it was like, like a lot of the episodes of Tales, Tales from the Dark Side did have monsters, but the, more or less the focus was to do some, kind of a Twilight Zone type thing. Like a lot of them had like in, uh, speculative stories with kind of twist endings and stuff like that. So Monsters was a spinoff that the special effects artist did where he wanted to focus more on actual creature feature stuff. So in some ways it's actually kind of trashier, but also in some ways a more interesting one because it's not trying to do the kind of heady in a like more complex things that tales from the dark side was doing but yeah he was also in waxwork 2 empire records uh he has a ton of uh, tv show credits uh one of the cooler ones is uh in spider-man the animated series uh he played alistair Smythe, which uh is a character that appears in a lot of episodes of um of the spider-man animated series which is i think on disney plus now right like now that Disney owns all of like the Marvel stuff. So is this the original like animated like show like from when we were kids? The one from the nineties. Yeah, I think I think it is because they were able to get X Men too. I think. Well, X Men um, was uh, uh, Fox though, and they had bought out Fox. Oh, you're right. You're right. But I don't. I think that this show was. Oh, that could have been when Sony was an owner. I don't know. I'm about to look into that. So don't quote me on that being on Disney Plus. But I thought that it was. I think Sony still owns all the rights to Spider Man. Um, yeah. Did I say that Max Caulfield was in Greece too? You didn't. And I was going to say something, <laughs> but like, that's like his most famous role. Yeah. For some reason, the lesser Greece <laughs> out of the, 
out of the duology of greases um yeah but then moving on uh there's uh hawkins i think she's a sergeant she's the commanding officer played by uh nichelle nichols um which you know everyone on earth would probably know her as uh, nyota uhura from basically all star trek media in perpetuity you know other than the reboot one where you know uh uhura was played by what um zoe saldana mm, i i don't know that one you'd have to uh, I I'll think t- it's I'll take a word for it. yeah, take but word yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, any that's pretty much as explanatory as you need to be. Like, Uhura and basically all of the original, the original series, the animated series, like all the way through all of the spinoff movies and stuff like that, like Generations, anything that she appeared in, you know, she played Uhura. She had a uh, some other cool credits, like uh, roles in like Gargoyles, which is a great show. Uh, uh, Batman the animated series. Um, she had a continuing role in Spider-Man, the animated series. So we're getting back to that. So yeah, she's, she is a, is a really fun presence in this, despite the movie's quality. I actually found her character to be engaging. Um, next I up, love the one-liners. Like they always had her pumped up with like some like real good, like solid one line deliveries. Yeah. And she like really hated Ellis, which I'll get into whenever we're talking about the plot. But like, since he's the main character, she just like is riding him all the time. and was like, uh, there's like way worse people in this unit than him. Like he's right. a little cocky, maybe, but there's one guy who's like straight up a pervert. Like, but that's fine, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So then uh, the only uh, fe- uh, other, uh, well, I guess the fe- only female in the unit, because the commanding officer isn't actually part of their unit. She's just leading them on this exercise that is like why they're out in the forest. Uh, so the only uh, woman on the unit is Lejeune, played by uh, Talia Balsam. She had a, a long role in Mad Men as somebody named Mona Sterling. I haven't seen Mad Men, so. I don't know if that's a big character or not. She has a lot of a lot of TV credits to uh, divorce, uh, Homeland, Diagnosis, Murder, which you know you love to see it, uh, Law and Order, Criminal Intent. She also uh, this is kind of like what I was saying earlier. She also had a couple roles in or a role in uh, Tales from the Dark Side. So we're gonna keep coming back to that well for this time because there's so many of them. A lot of these people were part of that project. Yeah, it's really cool to see. So like, yeah, I'll bring it up whenever it comes up. But yeah, she's, uh, I think she was in No Strings Attached, which I don't know how big her role is in that because I didn't see that movie either. Next up is Weir. And basically all of the people like, you know, have really quick, what, one line descriptions. Because we had Ellis, main character. We had Hawkins, commanding officer. We had Lejeune, the girl in the unit. That's it. That's all your little kids. Um, and then we have Weir, uh, the nerd. Uh, so he's uh, played by uh, Bradford Bancroft. Not a lot of credits for this dude. Bachelor Party, uh, The All Nighter, A Time to Die, which uh, was not a prequel to A Time to Kill. So jot that down. Universal Soldier, which is a great movie. So and then that's basically it for him. So he gets to be a nerd here. He gets to be in a couple other things, and then we're done. We we moved on from him. Probably the other like really big name is uh, Osgood, uh, played by Lavar Burton. Jordy LaForge himself reading rainbow himself. So <laughs> don't really need to like go into any more detail than that. He's in Jordy LaForge and everything that is star Trek related that has Jordy LaForge in it because they didn't replace him or anything. I think he's also in, um, in what Picard, the newer show, like they basically brought the band back together on that. Like all of the old, like enterprise crew. So I haven't watched it, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, I haven't either. And he also like, seems like he has, eyes now and can see i mean i know he always had eyes but he couldn't see 
Wait, LeVar Burton has eyes? <laughs> Shut up. Jordy LaForge, man. <laughs> oh, my bad, my bad. Yeah, but yeah. It was hard to tell from this movie when his eyes grew on his head. <laughs> at, some, at some point, there are eyes. That's true. There are eyes. Um, yeah, it's hard to tell because of how grainy it is. But uh, yeah, he also, like a really cool credit that I didn't realize uh, he had was in uh, Superman, Batman, Public Enemies, he played Black Lightning. Uh, he was like uh, Martin Luther King Jr. in Ali, the Will Smith movie, where he plays Muhammad Ali. You know, he was a Nancy in Gargoyle, so another credit on this cast for Gargoyles. Love to see it. So next up is Court, the aforementioned pervert, uh, as played by Bobby DeCiso. DeCiso? DeCiso? He was in 1941, that uh, terrible Steven Spielberg World War II-based comedy. Uh, he's in The Philadelphia Experiment, Big Red One, I Want to Hold Your Hand, which is a Robert Zemeckis-directed film, actually. Probably the better one for like fans of horror is he was in uh, Maniac Cop 3, Badge of Silence. So probably my third favorite Maniac Cop. Because they go in order of <laughs> <laughs> they go in order of like uh, good for me. Because like there's no Tom Atkins in that one, so what's the point? Uh, he also uh, had uh, a role in an episode of Tales from the Dark Side. So back to that. Well, now he was a big get for this film because like even though you don't like the 1941 movie, I, I guess it, it did pretty well. And I know like he wasn't the star in this, but they were like he was like an up and coming actor. So like they really. Like this, I think this was big for him to get that role, but it's kind of interesting. Like you go through these characters and like, we know them from a couple movies and shows like, I mean, obviously like Nichelle and LeVar Burton and all that stuff, but like, it's weird. Like to think now of like who in 20 years is going to be memorable. I mean, I remember seeing this guy in a few movies, but that's like kind of where it stops. I just think it's kind of interesting that if you were to ask maybe like our parents or like someone that you know, grew up in the eighties and watched this stuff. They probably would know who all these people are and everything about them. I just think it's a, it's just interesting. Yeah. I read that he was like the, they were excited to get him on board. And then this is the character they wrote for him. Yeah. Yeah. This character, this creepy pervert. Yeah. I think great. they thought this was going to do well. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. And that's another thing is like, we have to keep in mind that, uh, it's some of the stuff that you could let fly in the eighties. You can't let fly now. And this like sex crazed weirdo is not one that could fly now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So uh, next up is uh, one of the few characters we actually know his uh, first and last name because they constantly refer to him by his first name. Uh, and that's uh, Chris Mendez as played by uh, Scott Jacoby. And I kind of called him like the other nerd, but also the sweetheart because it seems like everyone has a favorable opinion of this guy. <laughs> like it's it's it, like he's like seems to be the only one of these characters that isn't an insufferable piece of shit. Like right. everyone just kind of <laughs> likes him. And he's, he's also like a secondary nerd. Cause he also has like, if, if we're is like the science and technology nerd, then this guy's like more like the history nerd. He seems to know a lot about like the Confederates during like the civil war and stuff. He like kind of provides a little bit of exposition for some stuff. So yeah, he's a, he's a great character. It's a bummer to see him go out. Cause he does die. Most of the characters die in this. Some of his credits, uh, little, the little girl who lives down the lane. Uh, what is it? To Die For, and then Son of Darkness, To Die For 2, uh, Return to Horror High. Those are some of his credits. That Certain Summer, which I don't actually know what that is. I basically don't know what any of these movies are except Return to Horror High. But I had to say something about this dude because it really seems like he got the short end of the stick. Next up is a character called Sedgwick. Uh, I promise you I could not identify this guy. Like every other one I had like in my notes, like here's this person's character trait. I have zero idea who Sedgwick is until he dies. 
So um, the actor who plays him is Richard uh, Pachorek. Uh, he was also in Trick or Treat, which we mentioned earlier, uh, was one of the writing credits for one of the writers. Uh, he was also in Independence Day as a LAPD helicopter pilot, probably died from alien attack. Uh, and he was also in something called Jake Speed. And uh, that's it for Sedgwick, the character that I couldn't identify. Next up is Engel, played by John Zarshen. Uh, Engel's defining characteristic is basically being an enabler for Court. He seems to be Court's uh, tent mate and also very hungover during the climax of the film. So he's drinking a lot. He has, a, he has some pretty cool, good credits. He has, uh, what is it, Heathers, Airheads, Dennis the Menace Strikes Again, which I didn't even know there was a second Dennis the Menace movie. California, like with a K. Like, that's a movie, I think it has, what, um, Brad Pitt in it and David Duchovny, I believe? Yeah. Um, yeah, and then also uh, he has some uh, Tales from the Dark Side on his resume, too. That was his uh, debut. Tales from the Dark Side? Mm-hmm. I mean, can't ask for a better way to get in there, man. It's such a good <laughs> show. Let's just talk about Tales from the Dark Side and not talk about this movie. Yeah, right. I know you're, like, trying not to get into the plot. Like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Anyways, uh, next next and last person. I didn't actually include the old man because I... Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah. He's just, like, basically a scared old man most of the time. But then his, his mother... His name um, is Grampy, which is... It is Grampy, in yeah, real life, yeah, Like, in real life. Yeah, that was, like, his actual name. Um, but, yeah, he didn't have a lot of credits, so... I did bring up uh, Melanie, though, because she plays a pretty big role in this, played by uh, Margaret Shendahl. Uh, basically, has three credits to her name, one of them being this, uh, the others being, what, Tennessee Stallion, and then an episode of CBS Children's Mystery Theater, and that's it. She, like, that was her, her high was probably this movie. It ended her career. Yeah, before it could even begin. So, yeah, there's our, there's our cast of, uh, like I said, mostly indiscernible people. I actually think that... My notes for the, like, when we get into, like, the plot synopsis for this, my notes, I don't know who they are <laughs> at the beginning. It, like, takes a while before I start figuring out who's who. So well, the only scene that's, like, you could even make out anyone's face is the truck. Like, I mean, we'll get into it, but, like, that's, that's your only opportunity up until they camp to figure out who's who. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And you just get, like, an idea, like, how pretty much everyone just sucks. <laughs> like, this... This is the most undisciplined army unit I've ever seen. Like, I can't believe that these people have like gone through basic training. That's why they have the gruff Leona Hawkins to whip them into shape. That is why. Yeah. Even though she doesn't seem to have any control over the, the unit. None whatsoever. It seems like the only person that she even takes any like interest in punishing is Ellis. And he's like not even her biggest problem. But I guess we're getting started on it. So shall we move into the plot description? such as it is if we must if we must you chose this you made this happen i know i'm very sorry <laughs> uh, uh so we uh uh smash start cut out, blurry image smash cut blurry image it's like what a bunch of <laughs> civil war photos like yeah. to like some really terrible like fife and drum music trying to be like civil war sounding a lot of still images and you might and then the only is kind of a cool effect that they do because they go to like a shot of like a bunch of, I think dead 
soldiers. And then it kind of like that, that photo starts to become colorized. And then it's the scene is like um, this kid going around. And I think he's taking like clothes off of dead bodies and putting them on. It's like, this is a pretty ghoulish thing to do. Yeah. Like, so one thing I thought about the scene, it's like, this is the most nineties PBS cut I've ever seen. Like, like the scene transition where it goes from like the photo to real life. You know what I mean? Like a that's like a wishbone or a reading rainbow transition. Pretty oh, man, it could be. Yeah, it would be like a wishbone. It really feels very much like a wishbone episode, considering this kid is like very it's unbelievable. Like, it's like walk through the minefield. I'm like, oh, this is not wishbone anymore. Yeah, this is not wishbone. <laughs> yeah, so the kid's taken on, uh, like taken like clothes off of dead soldiers. Um, he gets stopped by some old dude, um, who warns him that the like what the fields are crawling with Yanks. So you get the idea that these the people that we're supposed to relate to are Confederates, which is an interesting swing. Um, So he he gives a little bit of background about Jeremy, that Jeremy is special and he's touched by God, which we'll find out means he has magic powers. So, uh, oh, and apparently Jeremy's dad is dead from the war. So that's what this guy's like. We don't want you to die like your dad. It's like, well, then maybe the kid shouldn't be on a battlefield collecting clothing from corpses and using a stick as a gun but uh but yeah so anyways the yanks do show up as was foreshadowed by the guy saying that there's yanks and uh what they capture a bunch of confederate officers and they capture jeremy because he's wearing a confederate uniform that means he must now be a soldier which makes sense because the kid only looks like he's eight but sure oh and also the the unit is the 44th you can see because they have a very large 44th on the on all the union soldiers like like armbands um that'll be important later um so yeah the the captain for the the union soldiers is basically going to make uh confederates uh the confederate soldiers walk through landmines to clear them out by dying on them telling them that if they make it all the way through they can leave so and i put in my notes that of course the union are the baddies because this is oh i didn't say when it was we had a blakely alabama in 1865 was like a title card that came up so jot that down. Yeah, so they basically are making all of these Confederate soldiers walk through the landmine. Uh, they all get blown up. There's a bunch of civilians there to watch this happen, which I thought was kind of weird. I would like it was just seems like they're there to see the magic powers that will soon be manifested. Um, Jeremy gets to the end. So everyone else is blown up but him. But then the captain is like, OK, now do it again, kid. But then there's like some spooky wind that starts blowing. And uh, there's like an after effect power emanating from Jeremy's hand. But don't worry, we won't see what that means right now because we have to smash cut to modern times. And you can tell it's modern times because uh, there's a really uh, terrible song playing on a G- uh, not like a boombox that a soldier in a Jeep has. So, yeah, and surprisingly, worse image quality. Yeah, did you, did you notice that? It seemed like the flashback scene actually looked better than the modern scene i'm like pretty sure someone bootlegged this and then that's the copy that has the internet just like that's all they have that's now. the only it's, version that survived is like whatever this like someone probably put it in a vcr and like recorded it off of tv that's what it looks like then cut out they cut out the commercials <laughs> uh yeah yeah yeah. so um the guys are driving on a another jeep uh they have the 44th you know armband too so they're the same unit that murdered all those people in the beginning uh they're planting those some flags they're like supposed to be 
benchmarks for like a training exercise that these guys are talking about some like you know newer soldiers are going to be doing like some field training but we don't get to know too much about these guys because for some reason the ground opens up into like a glowing chasm and sucks these guys down or i guess it sucks down one of the guys but the other one doesn't survive and you actually find him later his corpse is like in a cave so i guess at some point he off screen also got sucked down into this hole Okay, so we cut to a truck. Um, this is when we kind of get our first introduction to our main characters. Everyone's betting on Ellis doing something. Um, and I didn't really know what they were betting on him doing at first. But you get a nice little character moment where Ellis is winking at the only female member of their unit. And in a very, like, 80s way, she, like, rolls her eyes or whatever. But actually likes it because that's how women are. Um, I wrote crack writing. But... <laughs> I put, uh, oh, the nerd guy is not on board with this betting thing. He, uh, Weir is not about it. So that's how you get an idea of his character. He's a nerd who's also got, like, some kind of uh, anxiety thing going on. But what they're betting on is whether or not Ellis can jump off the truck and then run and catch up to it again. Um, I wrote, like, these trucks have mirrors. (laughs) Like, don't they see this guy, like, running after the truck? But he basically, like, jumps off the truck, runs, cuts across the hillside, and then comes back down and then, you know, runs and catches up with the truck. And the only thing that this really matters is that throughout, I think Hawkins, the commanding officer that we haven't met yet, she refers to him as the Flash because of him, his ability to run and catch like this truck, I guess. And also find Civil War bullets. Yeah, yeah. That was the other thing. He's like, I, he found, uh, they said what, picked up a prehistoric bullet, which is not true. It's yeah. very historic. But uh, yeah, he had gotten a musket ball or something and, you know, shows it off to everybody once he gets back on the truck, once Alice is back on the truck. LeVar Burton's character, Osgood, uh, says he's from Detroit, so you could find bullets all over the place. So we get a little bit of, he was not impressed with this bullet, even though it's not the same kind of bullet that you would find in Detroit unless they're firing muskets everywhere. But in any case, he's not impressed with Ellis's find. What is it? Now they get to, they get to wherever the truck's dropping them off. So the Sergeant Hawkins, you know, as played by Uhura, going to be doing this three-day training exercise, which she says, just so I guess we have an idea about the amount of time they expect to be out here. She had actually noticed that he was, that Ellis was chasing the truck, you know, and I wrote in my notes, because again, mirrors exist. So yeah, obviously they knew uh, so that they were, that he was chasing it. Uh, so because of that, he's like getting singled out by her for like the, the bad work, like the grunt work uh, because of him running after the truck i guess so if we get some chit chat while they're walking and i can't really and this this especially this scene where they're like walking and talking is supposed to be giving us a lot of character moments but i couldn't tell who was who so it really didn't help me at all like i think it's one guy said that a he, play-doh talking to each other literally yeah you can't tell who's anyone is like you know other than you know i think you can kind of tell who ellis is but that's about it other than that it's kind of hard to tell who anyone is so, uh, yeah, because one of the guys said he had only joined the army to party in Europe. It's like, that's a really smart thing to say in front of your commanding officer, but cool. Hawkins says that there's a tornado inbound. It seems pretty clear at that part of the scene, so I don't know why she thought there was a tornado coming. Some more side conversations are happening. This is why like, I can't do anyone is. It's like, what are we even doing out here? It's like, you know what you're doing out here. You're at a field exercise. Like, you literally, you know exactly why you're here. <laughs> um. So what is it? LeVar Burton's character, Osgood, says that it is indeed tornado weather. But then another guy, I think maybe Mendez, says that it's earthquake weather, which doesn't make sense. Because it's 
Earthquakes don't have a specific weather condition. Well, he explains that though, right? Does he? God, he tries to. That's why I think it was Mendez because he's the one only other person who seems to have like a brain in his head. Um, I, I don't know which. Honestly, I don't know which character it was, but all he said was, "You know, we had a big quake out." He was from LA. It's like we had a big earthquake. The weather was like this. I was like, "Okay, dude." Yeah, but that's like co- correlation does not equal causation. Like, okay, whatever. Yeah, fine. He does explain it poorly. Uh, the nerd Weir is for some reason talking about how they crossbred a pig and a human, and that, because it was like a human body with a pig head sewn onto it. And I was like, "What's well, not a crossbreeding? That's someone Frankenstein that. That's not even what crossbreeding is." Let me think. And this is when Court starts being a real pervert. He goes and talks to Lejeune since she's the only female in their unit, and asks, "What are the chances?" of me getting laid on this trip, uh, proving that he has no tact. And Lejeune gives him a thumbs down, meaning not much of a chance, buddy. So that that's our pervert court. Uh, the guy that you said was a important uh, get for this movie because he was apparently a big deal. What is it? Oh, yeah. there's uh, the, Now they see Ellis sees uh, a woman who is, uh, you know, like washing her face by a r- river. Um Ellis is like just kind of peeping on her, but court actually starts yelling perverted stuff at her, which Hawkins obviously notices and then tells them to stop fantasizing. But it also seems like she's weirdly mad at Ellis for this. It's like, Ellis is not the one yelling at this lady. (laughs) Like that's court. I don't understand. Like I said, I think that Ellis really gets the shaft here uh, for like, he is constantly getting Hawkins ire. What next? Uh, Lejeune almost walks into a sharpened stick. Uh, Then that's when, Chris Mendez, being the history nerd, uh, identifies them as like a Napoleonic war era tactic to stop advancing the Union troops that were on horseback. Doesn't seem like it's that crazy of a thing to understand that you'd have sharpened sharpened sticks to stop cavalry, but um, he's the one who talks about it. Um, They walk past a cabin, but they don't notice it yet because it's not time for them to notice it. The only reason I even bring it up is because the camera kind of lingers on it, which is, you know, a directing trick to tell us that this will be important later. So let's where are we at? Like, like I said, there's almost nothing happening. Um, yeah, I think like a lot of this stuff is just like weird conjecture until they get to the campsite. Right. Yeah. So Ellis thinks he sees the woman again, but it's a tree stump, which was weird. They find what, like a patch of like yellow grass. that's like perfectly round. Um, yeah, like, fuck yeah. Let's camp here. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a smart place to camp. Cause there's clearly something going on. <laughs> Yeah, they, they speculate about how it happened. Some of them say it's iron in the soil. Some say that it's a UFO leaving like a, leaving like a mark on the ground. Osgood talks about how beings from another world uh, sh- came over and shat and left, which, I mean, I guess that's realistic. But Hawkins decides that it must have been a brush fire and then starts issuing orders to the soldiers to, like, set up base camp, basically. Yeah, Ellis hears some weird thunder and hears a woman's voice whispering, Evan. So put a pin on that. Evan is going to become important later. So like, are we supposed to assume that's the minefield? Yeah. Okay, good. All right. I just want to make sure. Yeah. This is the part. This is the place where earlier the, yeah, the soldiers were being made to walk okay. through the minefield and don't want to get ahead of myself. But as we know, uh, none of those people actually died or well, they did die, but then they didn't die forever. So Ellis, you know, is kind of creeped out by like this spooky voices and the strange wind. Uh, and asks Hawkins that or tells Hawkins they shouldn't camp there, but she's said she's the one commanding this adventure, so she will not have her leadership questioned. The per like the perv court, and he wants to go call for the wild woman so he can get laid on this trip because that's all he seems to care about. But he falls into like an underground shaft, 
Um, Hawkins uh, tells Ellis to go rescue Court. Chris Mendez says that it wasn't a trap. Uh, it was intended to stay up. Like the fact they fell through was an accident. It wasn't a trap or something. I don't know how he really came to that conclusion other than that it seems like it's a mine shaft or like a like a hidden shaft that was like a bunker of some kind. Um, Ellis asks for a flashlight uh, so that he can like investigate, find some old timey stuff like a lantern and some other gear, which suggests it's a mine. But there's also a corpse down there. And there was this an old timey corpse. It was just the corpse of one of the dudes who died earlier. I think this was an old timey corpse right here. I have no idea. Yeah, it's hard to tell. It's very hard to tell. Yeah, because like I think later on they find the corpse of one of the soldiers from the beginning. But I don't think that's until uh, some zombies start murdering some guys. Yeah, so Hawkins is sending out different groups to do stuff. Uh, she sends Osgood, Court, and then Sedgwick uh, to investigate what's going on with like these these tunnels, and then sends Lejeune with uh, Weir to work on the radio. Uh, basically, tells Weir that even if he has to get up in a tree, uh, he needs to get that radio working. Which I only bring up because later he is up in a tree, and she's angry at him for it. He's like, yeah, she told literally. him to do it. Yeah, so <clears throat> there's that. So Mendez uh, notices that the wind is weird, that it's like blowing outward from that circle instead of like across from it. So like that, there's some spooky wind. So what is it? Ellis is helping with the radio when the random river lady shows up and just stands there staring at him. Uh, and this time, actually, uh, I think Hawkins earlier had not seen uh, this woman, but this time she does see her. And is just like, what's going on here? What's all this then? I think that then, then uh, because of... I guess this lady staring at Ellis Hawkins decides to take out her day on him again and makes him start digging a latrine. I wrote continuing his string of shit jobs because <laughs> it actually is a shit job. Solid. <laughs> yeah. You're right. Hey, my writing is better than the writing in this movie. Uh, then, <laughs> then Hawkins like introduced herself to the lady whose name is Melanie and lives here. So I think Hawkins is like asking if there are other people here. Melanie is very cryptic about it. Uh, says something like some, and we're quiet, simple folk. So, and as we'll find out, most of them have been alive since like the Civil War. Uh, so Ellis, while he's digging the latrine, he finds a skull. Uh, Osgood, Court, and Mendez show up. Um, Osgood says, you know, don't mess with the dead. Show some respect. But uh, I wrote that that's something that Court is incapable of. So Court puts what? Sunglasses on the skull. Which I think is the cover of the VHS box for this, right? Is that yeah, sunglasses wearing skull? So there's that. Yeah, I think that's the scene, yeah. Uh, no, and then Court shoots the skull uh, because, again, that uh, he can't show any respect for the dead. So he shoots the skull, which explodes a beer can that he had put inside of it. So he's very disrespectful. Uh, Hawkins approaches and asks why they're shooting. Uh, Court says something about his firing pin. Uh, and then it's kind of funny because Hawkins doesn't believe him and tells Mendez to shoot him. He's like, hey, lady, like you can't like even in Jess, you can't be ordering people to kill people. That's crazy. Um, yeah, so then there's some, uh, what is it? Campfire hangout time for the guys, a little bit more character moments for characters that are pretty thinly drawn. So you don't really need to talk much more about that. Uh, Lejeune is separate, uh, and Ellis joins her and Lejeune is basically going on about how they seem to have some kind of, uh, romantic history because, uh, she says that she's a different person than she was five months ago, suggesting that they might've had a relationship then. And I said that Ellis uh, can't read signals, so he kisses her anyway, which, of course, Hawkins sees this and then assigns him double uh, guard duty as a result. 
because I, I put here that he has just the worst luck because he's constantly been caught doing his misdeeds by Hawkins. So Court celebrates with the fake trumpet call and then you know, it says goodnight sailor, even though they're soldiers, not sailors. What was it? Hawkins has like a picture, I think, of her like husband, presumably, or someone like a, someone that she has a love interest for. She says something to it and then gives it a kiss. So could be somebody who's deceased. Um, don't worry, that'll never come up again. So on guard duty, Ellis uh, heads over to the hole in the ground to investigate, which I don't think you should be doing. It should be on guard duty. Uh, he shines his flashlight in, but he hears the, some growling going on in there. Uh, and then there's a skeleton hand that lights a lantern down below. So it's obviously some skeleton action is happening in the mine. What was it? Oh, Osgood and Sedgwick are awakened. And this is like the only time I was able to identify Sedgwick. They're awakened by something spooky, but it's not actually spooky. It's just uh, we're sleepwalking and sleep peeing on their tent. Uh, we get some zombie POV. Classic we're. Yeah, classic we're always peeing on people's stuff. Um, yeah, we cut to a zombie's POV, or at least I assume it is because it had weird breathing, uh, which is kind of weird because I wouldn't think the zombies need to breathe. But anyway, um, <laughs> so, so Court goes to Lejeune's tent to bring her some alcohol and try to make a move on her. Um, so again, he's moving territory from pervert to sex offender, but, uh, Lejeune proves that she don't need no man because she pulls a knife on him and threatens to what cut off his nuts. Um, something like yeah, she that. She gives him a couple good, uh, couple good insults. Yeah. 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 Cause like he says, they'll section 13 you for this. And she's like, well, then you'll have to explain why you were here with your bare bottom out in my tent or whatever. So they, they're basically in a, in a stalemate. So court leaves. Uh, so yeah, then I put drunk court wanders into the foggy night. Uh, he doesn't see that there's a figure standing in the fog, like really scary looking. Um, and he, neither do we. Well, I mean, we can kind of we see the outline of it. <laughs> or are you just talking about the terrible quality yeah. of the video? Thanks. Yeah. Um, yeah. So zombie uh, zombie emerges from the tree behind him. So he starts running blindly through the woods. He falls in another mine trap mine shaft chamber. Uh, while he's wandering, he finds the body of one of the soldiers killed at the beginning. And this is why I said that this was the other soldier that didn't fall in, that we didn't see fall in. This is the other one, meaning they both must have fallen in at some point. Right. Doesn't matter. Now that's going to come up again because they're dead. So uh, he's like in a, like courts in a dead end and like a mine shaft. Uh, it's, he's trying to climb up some like mine shaft beams to try to get out of it. He's, uh, but he collapses them on himself. And then out of the dirt on the wall emerges a spooky zombie. So what next? He can't escape because of his feet are trapped under like the beams that collapse. In the last second, he's able to run away. Uh, he comes to another dead end and his multiple zombies now, like some more have emerged uh, and he tries to climb out again. But by then the zombies catch up to him. And then instead of getting a cool kill, though, we just kind of get a fade to black. So that's the end of court. The only thing I could think of watching these scenes, and there's one later that I'll bring up. All of these soldiers run like absolute <laughs> fucking idiots. Like, like flailing arms like they run like they're doing like a helicopter arm like they're a kid trying to like pretend like they're flying do you notice that yeah uh i kind of like i think i put in my notes somewhere that like were these guys even trained because they don't really seem like they know what they're doing at all um well, so like in this world i like to think like so these guys were all run like idiots and like oh he's like the fast one but he, he runs like the terminator like he's his arms straight yeah, it's, it's like a weird like contrast, especially the scene later where he's like chasing that one guy down and that guy's just like flailing like an idiot. And then behind him, just John Connor, like the he's like the T-1000 <laughs> just running with his arms like straight up by his ears. It was super weird. 
Yeah, he runs really weird, but they, maybe that's why he's the champion of the running. Not everyone wants to get to do it. Um, yeah, so he's dead. Uh, Hawkins is waking everyone up to move out, but they notice that Court is missing. Hawkins asks Angle about it because Angle again is the. Uh, but like earlier in scenes when Court was like being a pervert, it was Angle who's like they're enabling him, and then like they're apparently the they share a tent. They're like tent bros. But Angle is not helpful. He throws up because he's very hungover. Lejeune brings up that Court had come to her tent uh, while Weir was on duty. So Weir messed up. Hawkins orders Cedric, Osgood, and ha- Ellis to go looking for Court. Uh, they find Court against a tree with his sunglasses on, but he's dead from an apparent headshot, kind of mirroring the uh, mirroring the his disrespect of the what the skull earlier when he shot it with the beer in it. Now he's been shot in the head. Yeah, so Hawkins uh, gives everyone a dressing down uh, while they're in raincoats because it's now raining. It was just like, a, I don't know why I remarked on it like that. I like put in my notes that while wearing raincoats, because it's the only scene that they wear raincoats and it seems like they didn't need to do this. Like just to show that they had raincoats. I think it was like the because of the tornado thing. They're like, oh shit, we gotta like keep that continuity. Yeah, but like they weren't wearing raincoats before this, and they're not wearing it after this. It's literally like they just put on the raincoats for this scene. <clears throat> but yeah, so uh, after you know, after yelling at everybody, um, Ellis, uh, Cedric, and Lejeune are ordered to uh, load live rounds and then come with Hawkins. Weirs to try to you know stay on the radio and try to get them some transport. Ellis noticed that uh, notices that new sharpened sticks have been set up since the prior day. So someone's been out there actually setting up, you know, new like you know siege items here. They go, they do find the old shack that the camera had lingered on earlier. Uh, they knock on the door. There's no answer, so they just go in because these are simple country folk. They can't object to having soldiers just walk in their house. Ellis finds a diary that talks about uh, a man named Evan leaving for the war to fight Yanks. And then later on, uh, news is received by the writer of the diary that uh, Evan was killed. And Jeremy is the only thing that's keeping the diary writer alive. So obviously this diary belongs to Jeremy's mother. Uh, Jeremy being the kid from the beginning. And then Evan being the name that uh, the spooky voice was like saying that Ellis heard earlier. So there you go. All the plot threads are starting to come together, man. This is so well written. After the diary reading, they hear a noise. They bust into the next room. Uh, and I put in my notes that there's so much light coming through the door slats. Like none of these all or all the, the wall slats. Like this is not even a close enclosed room. So I wrote there must be tons of bugs crawling around in here because like you can literally see through the, the boards. Bug room. Bug room. Yeah. Uh, in the corner, there's a very old man hiding from them. Uh, and I put sudden melody Melanie from the corner of the room. She like walks out from like a dark corner and is just there, which is pretty funny. Uh, scares the hell out of Lejeune. Hawkins says that they will arrest Melanie unless they get some answers. Uh, Ellis, you know, is like, hey, Hawkins, chill out. Like, can't be just arresting civilians. Uh, but uh, Hawkins insists. So they take Melanie into custody and go back to um, what they go back to the base camp, taking Melanie with them. I think they bring up bringing the old man, too. But uh, Hawkins is kind of like, what can that old dude do? He's look at him. He's so scared hiding in the corner. So we'll just leave him alone. So they leave that guy. Hawkins shows the body to Melanie, but Melanie, you know, because she knows what's going on. She's being really dodgy about what's happening. 
I put in that Osgood is just like standing in the background there for no real real reason. I was like, come on, LeVar Burton, like you can do better than that. Hawkins asks if they've made base cam- uh, made contact with base camp. Uh, the men say that they're not sure because uh, they don't know where the radio is. And then Weir is now in a tree trying to call base camp. Uh, and Hawkins, like I said, Hawkins had told him to do that, but now she's mad at him and yells at him. The squad forms a plan to go to a nearby town called Sheffield rather than backtrack through the forest like they're supposed to. Ellis is making a bunch of eye contact with Melanie, suggesting that there's something going on there. Hawkins summons him uh, back to their huddle, and they're going to double the watch and then leave at first light to go to Sheffield. One thing I, I remarked at this point, it's like, uh, nothing says forbidden love like a really shitty 80s keyboard uh, woodwind solo. Like, but I kept doing that. You know what I'm talking about? Where it was like, you tell it was a synthesizer and they kept playing those shitty woodwind. Like, uh, it's not like a flute, but yeah, they tried uh, to make it like a flute, but yeah, it's obviously just a flute or an oboe setting. or yeah, something. Yeah, like or something. Yeah. And that's like their, yeah. their like love suite for this. Like yeah. their little, what was it? What's the term for that? Like a, a Meet soft cute. motif or something like that? Oh, no, that. Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. that what it is? Yeah. I, I'm not a music yeah, person, soft, but I yeah. think that's what it is. Is um, McMurray would know. He was, he was talking about that. One time when we went to see, we went to see Nosferatu with a live score downtown in Pittsburgh and Big Murray had been talking to this guy about his use of soft motifs or something like that. So that's all I know about that. Um, man, this movie sucks. Okay. So Weir is still uh, playing around with the radio. He suggests that it's the weather uh, of which says of which there isn't any really like the weather is not even bad right now. Uh, Lejeune is upset uh, because of Ellis hanging out with Melanie all the time. Uh, and uh, what then Mendez comforts her. And this is kind of like why I'm like, man, Mendez is such a good dude because like, it's like Lejeune is like, you're such a good friend, you know, Chris or whatever. It's like, everyone just loves Chris. Then, then all of a sudden the soldiers are getting shot at from the forest. They can't see who's shooting at them. Uh, but luckily, what is it? Engel, you know, despite having been too hungover to help before runs and gets the guns for everybody. Uh, and Osgood is like, way to go, man. You did it just in time for him to get gunned down. So Engel's dead. He's been shot. Uh, so I got I to gotta stop you. So this is this is one thing that confused me. Is it nighttime or daytime during this scene? Because seconds earlier, they were like all staying there huddling. It was daytime, correct? Yes, but I gathered that it was starting to be evening because that was when uh, uh, when Hawkins brought up doubling the watch for the night. So gotcha, I, okay. I gather that there must have been about to be nighttime. But yeah, the sense of time in this movie is non-existent. Like, I can't tell when anything is pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyways, Sorry. go ahead. Yeah. How dare you interrupt uh, with this? Continue. Like, yeah. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, what does I put here? Soldiers trade fire with their attackers. Frantic, terrible, generic string music plays. Uh, <laughs> Ellis is trying to protect Melanie throughout, which is really weird because Melanie is like, as we learn later, in a, in on this. Like, she's a part of like this this world here but like is she in danger like is are they actually willing to shoot her too or does it matter because like if she gets shot spoiler alert uh she, her son's wizard powers can just resurrect her i don't know i the movie doesn't have any interest in telling us so i don't really know why i need to have any more interest in trying to figure it out what's going on mendez is trying to load his clip uh but he's putting it in backwards so lejeune has to help him so mendez is <laughs> not good under fire he's good emotionally but he's not good in a in a situation like this, uh, Osgood needs to get something from his tent and he, uh, 
tells Sedgwick that he'll be right back. So Hawkins is asking Melanie who's out there shooting at them because she has a feeling Melanie's in on this. Yeah, Lejeune tells Ellis to watch out for Melanie uh, because she thinks something's up between them. And there is, but not what you'd think. Uh, Sedgwick is asking for Osgood because he's been gone for a while. He sees a zombie and shoots at it, but it turns out that it was Osgood. Um, I don't know if that was an illusion that he was imagining seeing a zombie. And so I said, RIP to LeVar Burton. He was, he, I would have liked to have had him in the movie more, but I think probably for him, it's better that he's now done because this movie is bad. Uh, <laughs> then LeVar Burton had some final words, but because like along with the video quality of this, the audio quality is bad. So I could not understand what the hell he was saying. And I, I could have swore he said jerk off. Or like you're a jerk or something like that. Yeah, he seemed like he was like using his last words to like insult Sedgwick. But I was like, but I couldn't really understand what he was saying. Either way, he's dead. He's out of the movie now. Yeah, Sedgwick though, like that's why I think he must have said something mean to Sedgwick because you know Sedgwick kind of loses it and uh, like runs over the line and this runs out and Ellis follows him uh, to help him, even though uh, Hawkins orders him not to. And at this point, I thought like Sedgwick was actually running away from Ellis. Uh, which is weird because Ellis, as established earlier, is the fastest being on Earth. So I don't really understand how he was able to outrun him. It must be the power of fear. That's the helicopter arms, I'm telling you. It's the helicopter arms, yeah. I said that Cedric was doing a good job avoiding all the spike, spike trap things until he comes face to face with a zombie. And then when he's backing away, he like backs into a tree mounted spike. So he's dead. It's kind of a, and I put this as kind of a messed up scene because he's like asking Ellis why he can't move and he's like crying. I was like, this movie did not earn this kind of like level of like a death scene. Like the actor playing Cedric is like putting his all into this performance. Like he's like, I why can't I move? And like I can't feel anything. I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> like this isn't this isn't the kind of movie we're dealing with. Like the horrors of real death. You know, this was just a zombie a second ago. Uh, so Cedric is dead. Then the remaining soldiers are covering up their dead. Uh, Weir is asking uh, Chris. If the fact that they haven't heard shots in a while means that they might be okay, which, you know, fair question. You know, maybe that's done. Uh, Lejeune is bandaging up Hawkins uh, and notices that there's a uh, spooky fog rolling in, which Lejeune says something like, I didn't know fog could look like this or something like that. It's like, what do you think fog usually looks like? <laughs> like, it didn't look like it was all like it was kind of rolling in a little fast, but it didn't really seem. Like, okay, so this is one defense of the movie. And I, and I will try to do my best. Okay. Sure. So from my memory, this was a really cool effect because they were like shining lights through the fog. So it like kind of looked ethereal. It, it, it wasn't like that. You can kind of see it from the shitty, like, <laughs> like shitty quality, but it was like a blue kind of fog. And then, like I said, it kind of had like a weird, like it looked like basically they were just laying on the ground and then just like rotating flashlights through the air. And it was like a really cool, like, I don't know. It was kind of a cool fog effect, you know, when I remember this from like the late nineties when I watched this. Yeah. I mean, that was my thing is like, I didn't even really notice anything supernatural about it. It just seemed like it was rolling in really fast. Like overall, I just thought it was regular fog, but the intent was that it was, it kind of looked like his hands, like, you know, his hands turn blue when he does his powers. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was kind of the effect. It, it was like the blue mist thing. Like, so basically like his gift that that's what that was supposed to look like. And and to to the movie's credit, it it kind of did look like that without all the shit, um, <laughs> all the 
the shit uh, quality of the video. All right, I stand corrected. This movie's actually great. No, it's not. Okay. Well, <laughs> moving on. Uh, Lejeune notices that the ammo that's being shot at them is the old-timey bullets, like the ones that uh, they were finding earlier and the ones that like uh, Ellis had found. Um, but she seems to like dismiss that idea. Like, nah, it couldn't be, you know, what is it then? The, the fog actually is rolling in and it like gets to Melanie and then she vanishes. So she's like, Ellis can't find her now. She's gone. So like the fog had like teleportation qualities. I think at that point, what Ellis or no, Ellis is, is, is gone. Cause he's like, he was over with Sedgwick. And then this is actually a kind of a cool shot because uh, Melanie is like walking through the fog. And it's kind of like like her shadows are like kind of superimposed into it. I put that this would be a, a really good shot if the video quality wasn't terrible, because this is actually kind of an interesting looking shot, even with the terrible video quality. So imagine if it was actually good. Right. Um, she comes upon uh, Ellis carrying Sedgwick's body because uh, he's returning to camp with it. Um, then that's when she uh, addresses Ellis as Evan, the dead husband from earlier and the name that she had said before he knows that there's something supernatural afoot now. So he like asks her if she's the one doing all this. And she like shakes her head that it isn't her. And then she, what does she do then? She like beam, like beams light into his eyes and allows him to see a flashback. Is, yeah. She like, that, yeah. Like zap. She, him, like, she, I like, don't yeah. She like zaps him with memories of the past. Uh, so we get a flashback that cuts to like that scene at the beginning. Um, but it turns out that whenever, like we kind of cut away at that scene before like the kid could go through the minefield again. So what had happened was Melanie had actually run out to rescue her son and she, uh, she had gotten exploded by the mines and that's what prompted Jeremy, the kid to actually use his powers. So he has like that glowing after effect and uses his power to resurrect Melanie. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then I think other, all the other dead guys too, like he resurrected all of them. And then she hugs her son, but then like looks at the camera, which I'm assuming is her looking at Ellis from the past, which is weird. So that's uh, she reveals that the old man in the cabin is her son. So that's Jeremy, now an old man. And she keeps calling him Evan, keeps calling Ellis Evan and reveals that her locket uh, that she was married to like a Civil War looking version of Ellis. And you can tell he's a Civil War version because he has an old timey mustache. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's how you know that he was from the 19th century. Um, Ellis is like, that's not me. You know, so he doesn't, he could just play along to help like end this situation. But instead he's like, nope, that's not me. That's just somebody who looked like me who died in the civil war. What happens then? Ellis is running. Uh, well, they like angry teenage girl run away from each other. It was really weird. It wasn't like, it wasn't like he's like, no, it's not me. And then they just like literally both turn away and just sprint away from each other. It was super weird. Like how that was filmed. Yeah, and then well, then Ellis doesn't make it far because he gets grabbed by a zombie from the ground. Right. And Melanie watches him get grabbed, but doesn't uh, intervene. And I put here that uh, now Ellis, while he's fighting these zombies, uh, we actually get some synth music that's actually really good. And like, uh, so after he's fighting the zombies, but then the good music is gone, and we're back to like the shitty uh, Civil War era music. Like, man, that synth was fun. I really wish we could have done that more. So, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, Ellis climbs a tree for seemingly no reason, uh, jumps down on top of a zombie, but he like jumps down and then falls down a hill. And the zombies are apparently so flabbergasted by this. They don't pursue him like they, like like I, I put in my notes that like 
I don't understand why he did this, but it seems like it works because the zombies are also confused and decide not to chase him anymore. They're like, why did that guy do that? And like, so that's what happens. Uh, so uh, Mendez, for whatever reason, he like back at the camp fight, uh, he jumps the barrier with his knife out and goes into the fog. Weir tries to see what he's doing, but gets grabbed in the face by a zombie. Then Mendez jumps back and cuts off the zombie's arm to free, uh, free Weir. And then they both go back over the barricade. So that really was a kind of pointless scene. I don't know what Mendez was up to because he's usually more level headed than that. I was kind of disappointed in Mendez. I'm being honest with you. That's just kind of what I'm getting at here. <laughs> You're rooting for him. I was rooting for him. Yeah, we all we were all rooting for him. He was the one. But uh, so back to Ellis. Uh, he's made it to the cabin and he goes into the, Jeremy's open slat room. Jeremy is scared of Ellis, but he tries to comfort him. So Ellis finds a picture of the entire family, including the mustache version of himself, who is Evan. Uh, but then using magic powers, uh, Melanie like blows the door open and you see like a backlit version of Melody walking in. I say back, look at back, uh, backlit because there's like some kind of spotlight behind her, I guess to make it look supernatural back at the camp, uh, zombies unceremoniously pull Mendez away. Uh, then they murder Weir by, uh, what punching a hole in him or something like they, they punch a hole in his chest. Uh, and then Mendez is being like carried around by the zombies until one of them is able to like cut his throat. So Mendez is gone. Bummer. He was the real one. Weir's gone. Uh, not as much of a bummer. He was kind of, he was kind of, uh, annoying. So that is, they're dead. Um, it's a trade off. Yeah. <laughs> Back at the cabin, Ellis is telling Jeremy that he can end the suffering. Presumably everyone's suffering. Cause I guess the zombies are not really enjoying their zombie existence. But Melanie does not want. <laughs> They've never told us. Yeah, they definitely don't. Yeah, well, that's the thing is like Melanie got like the good side of this deal because she gets to stay young basically forever and humanoid. But it seems like the other zombies, like Jeremy didn't have as much power for them. So they're shambling corpses. Like what a hellish existence that must be. Yeah, and like for the absolute incompetence of all these soldiers, for Ellis to make this connection at a breakneck pace was pretty wild to me. Like that he would be able to come to this conclusion that fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Well, he's like he's the only one that like acknowledges that something supernatural must be happening. And right. then, you know, once I guess he's the one who put together if Melanie's not the one doing it, then it has to be the old man. So yeah, and Melanie is like like I said, she's getting like the good deal here. So she's trying to get Ellis away from Jeremy. A zombie shoots at Ellis, which Jeremy doesn't like that because it looks like his dad, obviously. So uh Jeremy holds his hands out. And sends away the zombies and his mother with like a terrible looking cloud effect, like a really stupid looking effect. And then he had, then there's like a really dramatic death scene for uh, Melanie, the mother, bright lights, distorted screaming. It really seems like she's suffering. I was like, man, Jeremy, couldn't you killed her like in a less violent way? This is your mom. It's the only way he knows. It's the only way he knows how. Uh, but then I was like, and then the backlighting is gone and the zombies are gone and Melanie's gone. And now Jeremy is dead. Uh, so Ellis, you know, closes Jeremy's eyes and now he can be at rest. Uh, so he, and then he hobbles back to the campsite. Good night, sweet prince. Yeah. Good night, sweet prince. <laughs> um, Ellis finds him on the forehead. <laughs> I mean, he might as well have. Yeah. But like that's the, and then Ellis finds uh, Melanie's locket and hears a voiceover that says love eternal or something like that. Uh, Lejeune is still alive. Uh, so she hugs Ellis. And then Ellis, like while hugging her, drops the locket 
The implication being that he's not in love with the old dead lady that he barely knew, and he's down to be with Lejeune now because that is his love interest, I guess. She's changed in five months. She's changed, yeah. And so is he over the course of this adventure with zombies. Right. Uh, but then Hawkins is alive and yelling for Ellis because she, even though the rest of the soldiers are dead, she still can't not be mean to him. Uh, so she's like, okay, soldiers, let's haul ass out of here. Uh, and then that's it. That's the movie. Yeah, that was that's, it. That was yeah. the only thing that could have made the ending better is if they did one of those freeze frames where they zoom in on them laughing or something like that's what I felt like was going to happen. It's the worst fucking ending to a movie I've ever seen. Oh yeah. That was difficult. That was a rough time. And and that's the thing is like, and then it's like back to the terrible wannabe civil war music back to that for the credits. Um, I don't, I don't even think I stayed and watched the credits this time. Do they even have ending credits or did it just, do no, like, it just, it was instantly done. Yeah. It was like, yeah, I was going to say, Tubi's like, we know you, Tubi's like, we're no, we know you're done. Tubi's we'll like, get, you've already done your time. We'll get you out of here. You got 25 seconds. Yeah. You've already done your time. You got 25 seconds. We'll get you a new one. Ugh, that was, Oh no. Yeah. Anyways, well, I, I feel like we're going to put the judgment in the judgment categories for this one. Yeah. That means it's time for judgment categories. Is that a good one? Are you going to do an effect on that? Are you going to do that thing you did last time? Not do an effect and make me look like an idiot. I don't know. We'll see. Great. So as listeners I've know. Got, I've got touched by God. I got the gift. So my hands the, will turn blue and we'll figure out what happens. Cool. Yeah. Use your psychic powers to resurrect uh, your deceased uh, relatives and neighbors. But only your mom <laughs> gets to be a regular person. All the rest of them have right. to be shambling corpses. Cool. Anyways, as our listeners may know. Uh, our judgment categories are story, acting, effects, writing, and then cult factor, which is that little X factor that makes these movies so special, or at least usually. This time, I don't, I don't know if this one was special. We'll find <laughs> out. So we'll start with story. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'd go, I'd go D or F. Um, I'd say, I would say, uh, probably D. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like, it's a pretty simple story. Like, it, like it's just about some soldiers that happen to be the same unit that did some war crimes in the Civil War and now Confederate zombies. Um, there you go. That's this, that's the thing. Some kid has special powers. So I looked up some of the reviews of this, like, just how it was received, like, like critics, like what they said. And some of them were like... Uh, it's like a fresh take on like the zombie genre. And then someone else was like, basically, I can't remember. Basically it was just um, how like, this is so played out. Like this is not even like an original idea. And then one of the, one of the things that they said was they were trying to avoid being like the George Romero model. And like, dear God, I wish they would have at least tried to copy him a little bit. So yeah, I think this, this was a, this was a dud for me. So definitely a D. <laughs> yeah yeah i'm 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 always hesitant to give an f for something like this especially with the story it's like it's not really the a terrible story it's kind of basic i don't know who would say this is a fresh take on the zombie genre but 
I mean, I guess it is kind of cool, the idea that, like, rather than George Romero-style zombies, which is basically, like, you never really know why they're zombies, they just are. Instead, we have, like, a Civil War-era necromancer who can <laughs> resurrect people. We've got uh, a racist wizard, like, <laughs> bringing people back to life. Yeah, yeah, so, and then, so now he's an old man who's, like, cowering in his room and just, like, putting out all these, like, Confederate zombies, like... But I thought it was kind of funny, though, because there is actually another zombie movie called Zombie Lake, which is about Nazi zombies. And that is a trope that's played out. But I would have much preferred to watch that movie to this one. That's fair. All right. Next category is acting. Oh, boy. Boy, howdy. I mean, (laughs) you have, you know, Uhura. She's great. You have, you know, Jordi LaForge. He's great. Uh, Ellis is played charmingly enough i guess uh i don't know it's kind of hard to like know if this is like a problem with writing or if this is a problem with the acting because the characters are all insufferable kind of like they were in like night of the demons but like they're written to be insufferable so if i hate them does that mean the actors are doing their job yeah i don't know man i i think like i want to say d but i i think it's more a c right because like there were some good one lines you know, you could believe you could believe some of the banter between the soldiers as like believable that they didn't like each other and some liked each other and some didn't. So like, but they're kind of like stuck together. So I felt that through the acting, like I could definitely get that portrayed. I think what's tough for me is getting past how this was visually presented to me. I'm trying to like remove that from my brain to try to see because like you lose a lot of facial acting like a lot of like uh, situational like where the actors add a little bit of flavor with some facial expressions or um you know different body language you kind of lose that here the only scene that i thought that you could actually see that is when they were um when uh lejeune was in her tent and uh what's his face came in and was trying to like kind of force himself on her you could see like the different facial expressions like she kind of like played into it because she knew he was drunk and then pulled a knife on him so like I, I'm going to have to say C probably for me. Yeah, I would agree. I think that like Hawkins character, um, you know, is, is really good. You know, I think that, yeah, we don't get a nearly enough LeVar Burton in this, but what we do get, I think is really great. And I think that the moments like moment to moment, like they're doing what they can with characters that they were given. Like these were very thinly drawn characters. And I think that, you know, I don't want to use like the um, terrible video quality to just knock everything. It's like, no, I, I think that they're doing competently enough. So I, I think C is fair. I think C is fair for acting. Yeah. But uh, how about effects? I know effects is like one of your main things. How are you uh, feeling dude. about this? Uh, def- well, so I know you hate the after effect thing with the hands. I do hate that. So a lot of the fog was like that, too. So had you been able to visibly see it you would have hated it as well so uh man they ran out of money so they were doing a lot of mask work it wasn't it wasn't like as much special effects a couple of the death scenes were really cool like um like the throat cut there were a couple cool little scenes where they they played some stuff up the head wound stuff was kind of cool i think they did a great job with the application but i think in terms of technology and money yeah, I'd have to go see. I don't think they knocked it out of the park here. They could have. And I, and I know some of the cast or some of the makeup people even kind of remarked that that if they could have had more money, it would have been better. 
because some of the Civil War um, zombies were cool. They were really well done. And then some of them, you could just tell it was kind of like a quick thrown together mask that they put on them and, you know, like a generic zombie Halloween store mask. So. Well, I think in that way, it's actually the, the poor video quality kind of helped with that because the, the bad, yeah, the bad masks didn't really seem all that bad. And some of those zombie designs were really good. And like some, that one fake out scare where uh, where Sedgwick shot uh, like that zombie that showed up behind him and then ended up being, you know, Osgood that yeah. he, he'd killed. Like that zombie design is pretty good. And like the scene whenever um, whenever Court was in that in the mine shaft and those zombies were like emerging from the dirt. Mm-hmm. Like I thought those like those zombie designs were pretty good. But yeah, like you said, like, like the, the video quality really kind of plays into that. And, you know, they ran out of budget, but they still tried to do as much as they could. So I think C is fair. Like, they, yeah, it was, it was a okay, shoestring budget. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was okay. Yeah. So acceptable. Uh, acceptable. How about, how about writing though? Yeah. I'll let you take this one. I don't know. I, I, I couldn't, like you said, it's hard to tell. Is it acting? Is it directing? Is it writing? Like, how do you, how do you figure out how this works? But I'll let you handle this one. Um. Yeah. I mean, I, I gotta say that I, wasn't a big fan of the writing on this. It was kind of hard for me to imagine soldiers that would be behaving like this. Like, like, especially like, I understand that like people are people like people in different situations have the capacity to be insufferable, but the idea that they would be like openly defiant in front of like their commanding officer seems ridiculous to me. And then, you know, you have the pervert guy who's like, always talking about is getting laid. He's like, great. There's a real, character here and like seen that one before yeah i never saw that and then like his hungover buddy is like throwing up is like how on earth are you getting drunk here and like this this training exercise so uh i think i gotta go d on this i I just don't think that it was well written uh i think that like and especially like you know i i kind of like talking's character because she's kind of a hard ass and that was cool but like she was also like really like inconsistent like with her characterizations like to like tell weir to go up a tree and then get pissed that weirs up a tree I'm like come on she's like she told her to do it like it just seems like i like the writers forgot like between scenes like things they'd written like which yeah. i understand like it can be hard to keep track of a plot but like at the same time like put a put a damn outline down before you start like so you can, you can keep track of your own stuff so but i, I do give it a little bit of credit for the idea of like a uh, ancient necromancer like keeping these confederate zombies alive mostly as a as a front for keeping his mother alive because like they all should have been dead by now right like that was a kind of cool idea but the characters made it like really difficult to get through and it's like it's not just the narrative that you take into account in writing it's also the character interactions and the inconsistencies there are just too hard to not look past so i'd probably have to go d i totally agree yeah, all right 100 so now we're on to cult factor Man, I don't even know how to be nice on this one either. Um, it's hard to be nice. Like to me, like this was in my brain, like you, you said earlier, like I talked this movie up. I'm like, man, this was so good when I was little. Yeah, um, your nostalgia glasses really, really screwed yeah. us over on this. I feel bad, but yeah, I think, well, we need some of these clunkers, you know? No, um, no, it's important. Like, I mean, it's fun to rip on a shitty movie. <laughs> like, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so here, here's how, here's how I'm grading this. Okay. Visuals aside. There are shitty movies from the eighties. And and if you love these movies, I'm not, you know, trying to upset you, but they're they're bad. You know they're bad. 
but people love them. They talk about them all the time. There's a cult following, which, you know, kind of coined the term cult classic, right? So for our cult factor, the fact that no one gives a shit about this movie probably says more than, <laughs> than any grading we're going to give it. So I'd probably go for a D here. I, I just think it, you know, you maybe could argue me into a C, but I wouldn't go higher than that. I, I think a D, I think it missed its mark. Um, I have some, I have some criticism that I'm going to save for the next uh, section, but yeah, I just think it kind of, I don't know. I think I'm going to argue, I'm going to argue with you to a C. I think I'm going to try to do that. And okay. most of the reason I'm going to do that is because, well, number one, this cult factor thing isn't just like the horror movie community as a whole. It's also us. And I right. got to tell you, I had a lot of fun talking about this with some people over the weekend, explaining yeah. to them this idea of this movie. Okay. So get this Confederate zombies, some lady who's been alive since the civil war and an old man who is also her son. Who's like some kind of sorcerer. It's like the visuals aside, like that's just kind of a bonkers premise. Now, granted, I, I, I don't think I would ever want to go higher than a C, but I think that just for like the sheer, like uniqueness of this premise, it's like, yeah, I can't really recommend this, but if you're going to want to watch a bonkers movie, this is not a bad choice. I wish that it had a better transfer. I wish there was like a cleaner version of this out there. Uh, it kind of is a bummer that it's really hard to tell what's going on. And the music is annoying as hell, but like, you can't tell me this isn't a weird experience. <laughs> like almost, I could almost recommend it just for like the communal aspect of it. Just be able to talk to people about this thing. If we ever do like a live watch, we'll have to make this the one. Oh, I think I might I have know. this in my attic at my mom's house. But if it is in the attic at my mom's house, there is no way that this film does not have mold on it. So I'll I'll try to find a copy of this, and then I'll try to upscale it so we can watch it. Yeah, don't don't try too hard. You know, you, you don't have to. I mean, look, putting a lot of effort into this. You know, God gifted the racist wizards back in the day, but then He also gifted us with the internet, so I could use <laughs> eBay and probably find this pretty easily. So, um, or if I can find a DVD copy, actually, would be a better better option but yeah yeah so I, or would you let me win that argument to put c yeah i could do c because i did have a lot of fun and like again like i watched this for some reason a lot as a kid maybe because i just didn't have a lot of movies what well, i mean i did but i don't know i well, watched I know when we're young we all make mistakes so but yeah <laughs> but uh so interestingly enough this makes a d average so well 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 that means we're going to move on to our next segment which is the D roll again. Which is, which is old. I say that every time, but (laughs) I I love it. I mean, eventually it will, but yeah. So uh, for listeners, this is where we, uh, even though we just did five sections of judgment categories, uh, now we're just doing a final category where we rate the movie as either a cult classic, B movie, grindhouse, or trash. Um, Yeah, maybe this is a hat on a hat because we already did our judgment categories. But if you don't like it. Start your own podcast and then don't include another section. <laughs> so there you go. But then invite us on so we can make fun of you. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to make fun of us, we'll make fun of you. And <laughs> how do you feel? Feeling good about yourself? Anyways. Uh, yeah. So 
I'm just going to jump right into this. I can't give this higher than a grindhouse. I don't think this is bad. This is, this is not good. <laughs> this is difficult. Yeah, I agree with you. And even like this, uh, this does a disservice to the grindhouse <laughs> movies because it's definitely not trying to be one. So it, it kind of falls in this category without uh, any attempt to be self-aware of what they're making or doing. Um, yeah, I'd have to agree with you. I, I can't even call this a B movie. Now, 10, 10 or 15 years ago, I would say, oh, this is a great B movie. Um, it's and it's I've actually by... told people in my life about this. I feel terrible. I'm going to have to call some of my old friends and be like, guys, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're going to like do actual an actual apology tour to people that you've told about this movie. <laughs> yeah, right. Like in real life. One I take seriously. <laughs> but yeah, no, that's the reason that and I think that we've talked before, like for somebody to be trash. It almost has to be like offensively bad. Like you, it, it can't just be bad. It has to be like something that's just like wrong here. Like something, yeah, definitely like not uncool about it. Like this one, uh, I would say Grindhouse because I can't really recommend it. It's not. It's not going to be a movie that enters into my like rotation. Like some of the other movies we've talked about on this show, like you know, Night of the Demons, Chud. Like I watch them regularly, right? And uh, and the stuff I've I've always loved the stuff, and I, it has probably gotten back into my rotation. But but man, uh, this is like I don't think I'm going to watch this again. And if I do, there, it'll probably be for a bit, like for some kind of weird novelty, like what you were talking about, like actually getting people together and watching this so that we can all suffer together. So yeah, Grindhouse for me, first ever like Grindhouse movie that we've done, because um, this is just. Yeah, I can't even give it B movie. So the so the a couple weeks ago when we watched um we watched uh, Night of the Demons together, we tried to watch this one after, and I we got what halfway through we're like Jesus we can't do this. Yeah, um, yeah, it was too bad for us to even watch at that time. Yeah, and then like a part of me was like, okay, was that just like the tequila? And I'm just like really dumb and like so. <laughs> I mean, the tequila but, didn't help because I didn't have the patience to sift through it. With <laughs> yeah. So like once I did watch it and I had the patience to get through it, it was doable. But man, was it awful. It was brutal. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, again, it, because it isn't something it's like offensively bad, like I spit on your grave or something like it's not going to be trash. But, you know, I think that especially for these categories, we tend to be very lenient. So the idea that we're giving it Grindhouse is a gift, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> We should send them an award, we'll like make a little trophy and, and mail it to them. Officially the worst movie on this podcast. So you know what was funny? And you brought this up earlier in the show. The um, people that worked on this, you, you're like, they're the kings of doing like the second version of something or the sequel. This movie felt like a sequel to nothing, right? <laughs> like they took a lot of liberties like that you should already care about uh, Ellis or, you know, Lejeune and all these people, right? So it felt like they wrote this. I don't know if they did write this as a sequel to something or they had like another movie planned and this was kind of like piecemealed from different things. But to me, this felt like they took a lot of liberties with the audience that they would give a shit about what's happening in this situation. So I uh, I don't know. They, they're the king of sequels for a reason. They can't make the first one because this is what happens when they try. So that's <laughs> well, my comment. Well, that's kind of the thing. I think that's probably why they're so like, thinly drawn characters overall is because that's kind of like how you shorthand people into caring about it. It's like, 
here's our hero. Here's the pervert. Here's the nerd. Here's the <laughs> here's, other here's nerd. The pervert. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what I mean though? Like that's kind of like what I they're do. doing is like, this is all shorthand for like character archetypes. And, but then it's, this version is just like an even worse version of it. Like it's even more frustrating and annoying version of that. So there you go. That's our D roll grindhouse first ever so, one. I know. Probably not the last, but we had to get one in there at some point. So um, I have a couple questions for the audience. Um, well, I guess first, thank you all for the support, um, the reviews, kind words, all that stuff. If you could, if you like the show and you think you know someone that would like the show, um, go ahead, just give them a recommendation. We don't really like advertise or anything. We're just trying to have fun. So um, also, like if you guys have any questions for us, comments, any suggestions, you know, please reach out to us. We're open to talking with you guys through, you know, Twitter, um, you know, or anything, right? We have uh we have the website, you can get a hold of us there too. But um one thing I would like to ask is, you know, would it help if we put these ratings on our website? We've talked about it and we I, I want to, but I haven't like been pushing it because I don't know if that adds anything, but um, you know, I thought maybe like tweeting out like our rankings of like past episodes, like kind of where we're at and maybe create like an overall tier list or some kind of list. I know everyone loves those. So if you think that's a good idea, let us know. Um, I mean, we're probably going to do it eventually, but if people want to see it, I'll, I'll push, uh, I'll push for that faster than, um, the pace we're at now, which I was going to wait till we had 10, but, um, I think now we have over five, I think that would be a good time to start that. So just let us know. Again, you can tweet us, you can tweet at Stefan, um, you know, anything like that. So, yeah. And another thing is a lot of people uh, in person or like over messages like that we know in our lives have suggested different movies to do and everything like that. Um, keep those suggestions coming. Like uh, just because we haven't taken anyone up on those suggestions doesn't mean they're not welcome. Um, right now, I think that we're trying to still like establish ourselves. So we're kind of mostly doing movies that we kind of already know or movies that have reputations uh or whatever the hell this was so like what we're doing is we're just trying to kind of trying to like do our own path right now but those suggestions will be valuable in the future so just because we haven't taken anyone up on their suggestions yet doesn't mean that they're not welcome um i i really appreciate it and there's been some movies that are like movies that i didn't really know and stuff like that that people have suggested and i've kind of uh, I've taken an appreciation on for them. Um, yeah. So like, like right now uh, we kind of have our next couple planned out. Um, and I imagine that I probably will have even further out planned, but we'll, we'll start taking up people on their, uh, taking people up on their suggestions as we move forward. And we focused on the eighties recently, and we're going to try to keep it to the eighties for like at least the first, I don't know, a couple dozen episodes, maybe like, uh, but at some point we will want to edge out into like the, like maybe late seventies, get some full G stuff up in here, like maybe get into the early nineties. Uh, I know that I wanted to do uh, uh tales from the crypt demon night, which I think yeah, is an early nineties one. Yeah. So like there's some movies that we're going to start creeping around for. And uh, people have actually suggested uh, uncle Sam, which is also a video store favorite, but uncle Sam is like 1996. I'm like, Oh man, I don't know if we can go that far into the nineties yet. Like let's, let's try to like, thin out some of these eighties ranks first, and then we'll see where we're at. Yeah. And I know we talked about doing like, um, maybe we have like blocks of where we do one director or, um, you know, maybe one actor or something like that. And then we also talked about maybe doing like, 
like in October doing maybe like, I know a lot of these are Halloween themed, like air quote Halloween themed, but maybe try to focus on ones that are like legitimately Halloween themed. So, um, and probably not literally Halloween. (laughs) So not actual Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not literally Halloween. Halloween three season of the witch though. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. I do love Tom Atkins, but so what movie Halloween three. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's like two camps in like the horror community. It's either people who uh, love Halloween three season of the witch and people who are wrong. <laughs> Those are the two camps. So um, another thing, too, I, I wanted to bring up, uh, you kind of talked about a block and I'm kind of actually starting us up on a mini block for our next couple movies. Um, as we all know, it is summertime right now. Um, so. Whenever it's summertime, I always feel like slashers are where I want to go. So actually, our next couple movies, maybe next three, definitely next two, are actually going to be uh, slasher films, trying to keep them themed to like summer events. Um, so with that, do you mind if I bring up the next movie that we're going to do? Yeah, please do. Okay. Uh, the next movie we're going to do is actually The Prowler. Uh, I believe in 19, what is that, 1981, I believe, uh, one of those you know, early slashers, like early slasher villain movies. Cause like there were other slashers, but some of them were more like whodunit type slashers. And this one, you actually have like a guy like wearing like military fatigues and like a helmet and like a mask and stuff like that. So very much like a villain focused sort of slasher movie, uh, and including, uh, uh, gore effects by none other than Tom Savini, the man, the myth, the legend, local legend, by the way. True. Yeah. yeah, he's he was uh, yeah working with George Romero, George Romero being a, a Pittsburgh guy. And, you know, Tom Savini is is Tom Savini still based out of Monroeville. I think he has like a he has a um, make a, or like a like a special effects school here in the Pittsburgh area. He does. I, I don't know where he's based out of right now, but he's uh, definitely a local legend. Um, if you don't know who he is, please look him up. He's awesome. If, and actually, so I, I was explaining this to someone the other day, like, who is Tom Savini? I was telling them like what he did in his work. And it's like, but a lot of people know him from, um, from dust till dawn where he played sex machine. So, um, with the underwear pistol or the dick gun, like the pistol. <laughs> so if you've seen that movie, you definitely know who Tom Savini is. So, yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's had like, and we'll talk more about it, obviously Great cameos. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk more about it. Um, you know, once we actually talk about this, it's like what Tom Savini's special makeup effects program at the Douglas education center in, in Manesson is where it's at. So like outside of Pittsburgh, but yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's great. He, he does, he's had his fair share of time, like doing special effects work. He's had a, he's had uh directing uh, responsibilities before he actually did a few episodes of, I think tales from the dark side. Um, he's also, I think he directed what the nineties, uh, night of the living dead remake. Um, he's also, like you said, he's been in different horror movies too. He's actually starred in, uh, he was uh, he had a villainous role in George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. Um, like he was like that. He plays a biker guy in a lot of stuff. I've noticed. So he's like he's a, a really like important figure in like the horror community. I'm really excited to take on the Prowler because it is kind of a lesser known one, but like just like kind of we'll get more into it when we actually do the episode on it. But they would say that it it actually took almost more time to film the kills in that because of the amount of effort that went into all of his special effects, it'd be like an entire day just to get a death scene out, which is very cool. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm so excited. And I know a couple of the people that listen to the show, they're like, Hey, when are you getting into the slashers? I'm like, it's coming, dude, it's coming. 
Yeah, so. yeah. So definitely the next couple will be will will be slasher movies. Like I I really like the summer vibe for a lot of slasher, and I'll try to pick ones that are themed around like you know early summer like kind of summertime things. Uh, for for the Prowler, by the way, um, you can find it on Tubi. Obviously, um, it is on Shutter. Um, I want to say that it is like on the Roku channel. If anyone has Roku, I think it's on AMC Plus, uh, Amazon Prime. Um, so there's plenty of places you can get it. Like Tubi, obviously being free is an easy one. Um, I'm as a horror fan, I have Shutter, and I probably might watch it on Shutter because I don't know how the Tubi ones transfer is. I know the one on Shutter is really good, but um, but yeah, that one's out there. It's available, um, and I think it'll be a fun one to kick off. You know, a little bit of a slasher block for us and one thing we can promise is no matter how bad the transfer is it's better than this one that we just did so yeah still can't believe how <laughs> bad this was like it's just crazy yeah. to me that that could happen like i mean you hear about stuff like in like film history how like they lose yep. like something like what like a certain like a high percentage of like all silent films are just gone forever it's like how were they not able to get a better version of this out there <laughs> like it's in it was like 1986 movie like it wasn't even that long ago it's the film. Like if that film gets that mold on it, it's toast. Like, I don't even know if you can really clean it. So like, this is a little like off topic, but so I, I guess you, I will speak for you. We both love the bad man, like comics, the Pete Holmes comics, or is that Pete Holmes? Yeah. Right. The, yeah. The, his Batman yeah. thing he was doing. Yeah. So he did the bad yeah, man yeah. or bad, you know, the guy that played like commissioner Gordon that was routinely in there. He's like a redheaded guy. He actually is a VHS collector and like he's really, really into preserving VHS. He has a TikTok that I highly recommend. Like, if anyone likes VHS or thinks he's funny or likes that person, follow his TikTok. He picks a random number and then he has a whole collection of VHS movies and then he'll buy them at like garage sales. So he has no idea what's on some of these things. So he'll grab the video, like, it's like tape like 278. He'll grab it off the shelf. He puts it in and then he does like a TikTok of like him watching the movie and like little clips from it. And he'll give like really interesting facts about like VHS movies, like stuff from the time, like even commercials and stuff. He'll try to include in there if they're interesting. So if you're into that at all, definitely check out his TikTok. I can't remember his name. Actually, Ooh, I've actually up. seen that TikTok. That's kind of I've sent, I sent, That's I him? sent them to you all the Did time. You? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm acting um, like I, I stumbled on it and you're just here sending it to me. I didn't realize that was the guy from those skits. So that's funny. I like that. So the guy I was talking about, his name is Matthew J. McCarthy. Okay. Um, check him out. But his TikToks are phenomenal. Like I, I love his, his um, VHS TikToks. And cause like y- you kind of look at it and you're like the way he like presents it, like he's just like a normal dude and he has like 10,000 VHS videos in his basement. They're like all through the shelves and stuff. It's kind of like a madman, but um, yeah, you should definitely take a look. Um, highly recommend it. But yeah, I think that's all I had for today. I don't, um, Again, if you like the show, uh, like give us a review. It helps us out a lot. Uh, rate the show, share it with friends. Um, but yeah, that's all I had. You can follow us on uh, Twitter. Um, Shane runs the main show's uh, Twitter account, which is what? At Darkside Drive-In. Yes. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Darkschneide. If you want to follow me too. Um, sometimes we tweet at each other. <laughs> Mostly it's actually the Darkside Drive-In tweeting at me. <laughs> not your spawn but in any case we're out there if you want to follow us on there um again yeah excited to put this behind us and move forward with the prowler uh so <laughs> see, see y'all next time i guess keep it spooky
Spook them up. Ooh. <laughs> oh, hold on. That was a good one. All right. One more Sp- time. Good. Spook them up. Ooh. That wasn't any okay. better. Okay. One more little inflection. Keep. Yeah. What do you want? Ahead. Like. No, no. Same thing. Just hit, say it again. Yep. Like. Spook them Yeah. That's, that's the one? it. You nailed it. Yeah. That's your Supernaturals uh, audition. All right. Print it. Time for you to be in the movie. Okay. Negative one year old me in 1986. Put me in that thing. All right, let's end the show. I've done this. Yeah. All right. See ya. <laughs> See ya. <laughs>